talk a little bit about in the next few, maybe Wednesday nights, about how to be mighty in spirit. Some things that are, are necessary for you in order for you to grow and to be mighty in spirit. If there's ever an hour we needed to be mighty, it's now. This is not a time to be weak. This is not a time to be faltering. This is not a time to be doubting. This is not a time to be second guessing. Uh, whether you're in the right place or not. Amen. You need to know where you're at, why you're there, who you are, where you're going, and what you're doing. And, and God provides all of those answers to life. And so uh, tonight, I'd like to begin and share with you the first aspect of this, uh, talking about the uh, being mighty in spirit. Now, in order for me to do this, this is something that I, I need to do. And I, I want to talk a little bit about your spirit the Bible talked about Jesus and John the Baptist, how they waxed strong in spirit. And talking about their human spirit. And so I wanted to share with you, in, in relative to this, how to grow mighty in spirit, some, some information or some understanding about what uh, aspect of our being the spirit uh, uh, in, involves and what the, the spirit constitutes in our, our being. And so we're going to talk tonight in this first aspect about the spirit of man and then how we grow relative to that. When we talk about the spirit of man, there are essentially, as I see in Scripture and in study at this point, there are, are relatively three aspects uh, of our spirit, if you will, or that, and I'm going to call it an aspect or, or, or character trait, whatever you may be, or that, that sense. And when we talk, In other words, when we talk about the spirit of man, what do we mean by that? What... What is that sense in our being? What is our spirit? And, and how does that, uh, how do we understand that? How does the scripture convey to us about the human spirit and what it is? And those three aspects that we're going to deal with are number one, the characterization or the character aspect, if you will. And then the third thing, or the second thing will be the animating aspect. And thirdly, the mental aspect. Now we'll get with each of those um, in, in detail as we go along. When there's a scripture that talks about in the Old Testament, it says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. It's the candle of the Lord. tells us that this is that, that lamp or that candle that illuminates. This is how God illuminates men. He illuminates men through their spirit. God talks to men through their spirit. From time to time, throughout the course of history, God has spoken to men audibly so that they can hear His voice with their physical ear. That has happened. But that's not the normal way, or, or I should say the most frequent way or manner in which God talks to us. Most of the time, God does not talk to us in an audible voice that you and I can hear with our physical ears. Most of the time, God talks to us through that inward man. But that spirit is that window to the soul. It's that ear of the soul. That, and that the way in which God is able to illuminate us and talk to us. God doesn't need a megaphone to get your attention. God can get your attention when, when, when the room is filled with a thousand shouting voices. God can get your attention because He can speak to you where no one else can speak. He can reach to you in that inward man and talk to you through your spirit. That's the candle of God. And He illuminates man. It lets us know that, that we are a moral creature. We have a responsibility to do good, to love God, and to love our neighbor. 
It is this spirit that gives us a God consciousness uh, and tells us that, that we should seek God and we should seek His glory. Man is never, he can never claim the excuse that, that, that he had no knowledge of God. There's too much around us uh, to tell us that God is real. The knowledge of God is in us. The knowledge of God is revealed to us. Uh, I've been uh, meditating a little bit on the 19th Psalm when he says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. He says, day unto day, utter speech, night unto night. Uh, it says that, that uh, it, it, it talks and utters speech and language. And said there's no voice or language where, or, or no place where their voice is not heard. And so here is this, this uh, uh, glory of God that's revealed in creation. The moon is preaching over every side of the world. The sun is preaching every day and declaring that God is a glorious God. Hallelujah. The creation, the skies, the twinkle of the stars in the sky is declaring to human, uh, humankind upon this planet that God is glorious and is powerful and mighty. But it's through this spirit that we understand there's a spiritual world that exists. There's a spiritual realm that to the physical eye is invisible. You and I cannot see it. We, but yet we know it's there. We can never. We have never seen a devil, but we know he's there. We've never seen God, but we know he's there. We've never seen the Holy Spirit, but we know that the Holy Spirit is there. And so we. Uh, there are some that have, but we've many have never seen an angels, but we know that angels are present. They're spirit beings, and and we understand that that there's a sense many times, uh, and 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 various places create uh, uh, that sense. Or or, or are attractive, I should say, events are attractive to certain kind of spirits. You can go to a rock concert, and I will tell you, it'll be more there than music and entertainers. There'll be more going on than people singing and people shouting. There will be spirits that will feel that atmosphere. Oh, when we come together, I'm going to tell you in this place, I want more here than you, what we see. Oh, glory. Church is not going to be effective if the only thing in our service is what is visible. If all we've got is a piano, a songbook, and the talent of the people that are here, we don't have anything. But if we can have the invisible God among us, Oh, if we can have the glory of that presence of the Lord, I'm telling you that it will make the difference. So where you go, you can go to a person's home and there can be a spirit about the place. There can be a sense and we sense in certain areas that there, there are there's our spiritual powers and influences that are there and are present. Even the, even the pagan world, if you will, recognizes that. Of course, in those with, with very, uh, uh, in, in far countries, they, they well, happen in America too. America's full of witchcraft. And uh, they, they worship uh, and, 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 and seek to, to convene and commune with demon spirits, with wicked unclean spirits. They may not consider it to be unclean to them, but it is uh, because of the manner in which they seek to uh, uh, commune with that spirit. And you can find that all over. But but even today, you'll see it in our world that there are, uh, are folks who in the, in the secular world seek to deal with what they call the paranormal. The paranormal. What is the paranormal? That's the unseen world to them. And they recognize, you know, we talk, they talk about it in terms of
kinds of ghosts and spirits and, and, and those sort of things. But, but we understand the truth behind that. But that is that spiritual world. And it's through our spirit that we're able to sense the presence of that realm. And that there is an unseen realm that is very real and very present, though invisible. We cannot see that. We sense the spiritual through our spirits. Indeed, uh, in, as well, in this first point in a moment I'll get to is that a man's spirit uh, can also be spoken of that which characterizes him. Whatever it is that feels your spirit is going to characterize you, okay? Whatever dominates your human spirit is going to be uh, visible in your personality. It's going to be visible in your character. Uh, a person can be bitter. A person can be guilty, they can be sensitive, they can be angry, they can be unstable, they can be envious, covetous, lustful, anxious, weak, strong, faithful, generous, loving, compassionate, hard, various things. But those are things that are characterizing their spirit because they've allowed something to influence that and to dominate their human spirit and thereby they're known by that kind of character or that kind of a personality. Whatever feeds it into your spirit will and dominates it will determine the type of person that you are. And so when we talk about this spirit, uh, whatever you are in your spirit is basically what you are. That's who you are. And so we're going to deal with this characterization aspect, the animating aspect, and then with the mental aspect. And we're going to look at this here tonight. Now, I want you to, first of all, you may not be able to you can just write them down. I don't want you to necessarily turn to them right now because you'll probably lose track of me. But I, I want to talk about, first of all, this idea of what characterizes a man because something is characterizing his spirit. You know, there are a few verses, and let me say this from the outset, that when we talk about the human spirit, uh, we know that it is a distinct aspect of our being. There is one verse in particular that makes that known in uh, a second uh, or first Thessalonians chapter 5, he talks about, he says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, or completely or entirely. The very God of peace sanctify you entirely, wholly, and that uh, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. Your whole spirit, soul, and and body. That man is, is a, a, a trinity, if you will. His being is a trinity. Uh, and God is a trinity. But in God and uh, the being of God, there are three persons that make up the trinity. We're not three persons. We have three parts or aspects, however you may wish to, to identify that. And those three are consistently mentioned in scriptures being our human spirit, if you will, the soul, and then the body. And the body is pretty easy to understand what that is that's the visible part of us that's something that bleeds that's something that hurts if you poke it all right that's something that has a, a five senses in it it sees it hears it smells it tastes it feels uh, it touches all of those things and 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 those are the the sensitivities by which you and I are able to see things the windows into that inward man are through the senses in the body at least from the physical 
world. The physical world has to access my inward man through my body. Has to come through that in that sense. Now I can make suggestions, but still in order to do that, I have to see it, I have to hear it. The, the physical world around me seeks to reach my spirit. And it seeks to do that by appealing to my five senses, by reaching me through my five senses. So it puts pictures in front of me and suggests things by, by me seeing things. Now it wants to reach my mind and my human spirit. But, but it will do that through, has to do that through my sight. Or it will uh, play something. It may be music or some sound or something, some voice, some message. And that has to reach me through my ear. Uh, you'd be amazed at how the... A fast food joints, if you think they're out for your health, uh, you're badly deceived, okay? They're out to make money. They put things in food to keep you coming back. And they get your taste buds uh, 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 turned into that stuff. And, and, and then there are certain smells. And, and with smell and taste bud, that, that world is able to appeal to you and, and to, to get you to bring unto the, or, or to buy their product or whatever it may be. And to, to have your inward man make the decision to buy their product. So this, they're, they're after me. They're really after me my inward man, but the physical world has to do it through my body. God doesn't talk to us through our body. God doesn't reach to us through our body. God talks to us through our spirits. And that is that God being a, a spirit being, He doesn't speak to us in the sense of or seek to reach us in that way. Now He does give us His Word. I understand that. And that we read the Word, but there's tons of people who can read the Bible get nothing out of it. Alright, if God doesn't take the words and lift it off the page and put it in your spirit. The Bible said the things of God cannot be received by the natural man. They're spiritually discerned and they're understood through the spirit. And so if your spirit doesn't open up to that book, it isn't going to talk to you, okay? So the fact that you have a Bible doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're hearing from God. It doesn't mean you're learning about God. But if you open your spirit up, whoo, glory. And when you read that book, let the Holy Ghost lift the word off that page and plant it into your inner man then you're getting somewhere and you're going to hear from God now this this idea again of us being a triad a trinity a tripart uh, uh, being spirit soul and body again the body being the physical visible part the spirit being that inward part we're going to deal with the soul the soul is essentially who we are as well in that, that sense. The soul, you can think of the soul as that inward man. The soul and spirit are, are connected. We don't find anywhere in scripture that those two become separated after a person is, is created. Now your body can be separated from your spirit and soul. But you don't, the spirit is not separated from the soul. Because the spirit is the life-giving force of the soul. Think of the soul this. Think of your body as the visible you that's visible in the physical world. And think about the soul as the invisible you. If I can put it that way. So in other words, if you were given the opportunity, let me, let me, let me give you a, uh, an example of that. So we have the, the story in the Bible that was a real occurrence 
Real names were used, real people involved, of a man by the name of Lazarus and another one, uh, some would call him Dives, or the rich man. And the Bible said they both died. It talked about the rich man being buried, and it talked about Lazarus. Uh, he wasn't buried, all right? He probably got thrown out on a trash heap. His body did. Uh, but there was his, uh, his body. So these men, their inward man has left their body. Their bodies are here. Their eyeballs, their brains, their kidneys, their lungs, their teeth, their hair, their nose. Their, their, their knees, their, their, their joints, their, their bones, their flesh, their veins. All of that stayed right here on this earth. Some One of them got buried. The other one got thrown probably outside the city. But when we get to them and now all of a sudden they leave this body. But there is still, they go to another uh, dimension. They move to another world. And they go to the place called the shield. One goes to an upper level. One goes to another Level and there's this great gulf, the Bible says, or expanse or space. You can think of it maybe someone like a canyon. Some of you in here have been to the Grand Canyon. I haven't yet had that privilege. If Jesus tarries and allows me to have that privilege, I would like to do that. But uh, the canyon is a massive expanse. Uh, and if you've got somebody on the other side of that Grand Canyon, and, and if he can holler over at you, and you're on this side of it, and, and it's going to be easy to understand. And he says, hey, I can't get to you. And he's on the other side, hey, bring me a bucket of water. You just have to look at him and say, you're out, dude, okay? Because I got no way to cross that canyon. I can't walk on air, all right? And, and that's the idea. There was this massive expanse between them. But we look at them and there is still shape. There is form. They have eyes to see. They have a, a tongue upon which the rich man wants water to be placed. He can tell torment. He has memory. He is able to speak. He has language. He has intellect. He has will. He calls for it. He is still there making what choices he can in the confined area. Uh, uh, but he's calling out to Abraham. He is speaking. He is talking. So he has an ability to communicate. Uh, and, and he's tormented in a flame. Uh, and it appears from his, his uh, appearance again, there's an identity. Moses had died. His body was buried. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was recognized as Moses. He didn't get a glorified body. He didn't have a new body. There, the soul was revealed to the physical world and God gave three men on that mountain an ability to peer into the spirit world for a moment and, and see the soul of Moses as it stood there. The being of Moses, he had shape, he had form, he had intellect, he talked and looked just like he was as was was Moses. That spirit world, God has an ability if he wants to, he can give us an ability to peer into that world and look. Elisha was there with his servant and said we're in trouble we're going to lose this battle and Elisha said there's more with us than there are against us and he said open his eyes Lord and he opened his eyes and he saw the angelic beings that were there with their horses and were there ready to fight the battle for the people of God but they were invisible to the human eye because they existed in another realm now so that soul is that Man that inhabits this body, he has form. The soul has shape. The soul has form. The mind, although connected to the spirit and, and, and the aspect of the spirit, is still located in the soul because the spirit's located in the soul. The mind is in the soul. 
The brain is in the body. The life of my body is the blood that courses through it. That's how the body functions. But there's still more to that. What makes the blood course through the veins? What makes the heart pump? What provides the energy? That flows through the spirit and soul that inhabit the man that is are inside that body. There is a man, if you will, inside of that body, that soul and spirit that animates and, and, uh, and gives life unto that body. And I need a brain to connect to this world. I need a physical brain to be able to communicate to a physical world. But I don't need a physical brain to communicate to a spiritual world. I will tell you that the rich man, that Moses, his brain was buried in a body somewhere there over at Mount Nebo. But he didn't need that brain to function in a spiritual world because the soul is complete. It has its own set of however it is animated through the spirit and the spirit that brings the animating power. But whatever constitutes that, and if I can say it in some material sense... There, there, there is some material sense that is given to it, but I don't know any more than that. We don't have any insight into that. We can just tell you there's shape, there's form, there's intelligence, there's, there's an ability to sense and see and do everything in a spiritual realm that you would do in a physical realm through your body. Now, I, I hope that wasn't anything that was too heavy for you, uh, but nevertheless, I, I said all that because I want to tell you that in Scripture, because the soul and spirit are so closely united. There are many times that they are, the terms are used interchangeably. Uh, and the soul being inseparable from the spirit. And the spirit inseparable from the soul. Those two are used interchangeably. And yet there are other times they are distinguished. I gave you a verse that talked about your spirit, soul, and body. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Now the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow. Talks about as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of a man's heart. Again, when we talk about a man's heart, you can talk about the heart that's pumping blood in his body. That's a part of the physical man. You can talk about the heart that deals with his intents and his, and his direction and his motives and his desires. And that's located in the soul. Now, so giving this idea, I want to take for a moment and, and do without taking this too far because you can get in a lot of trouble if you do. I, I want to deal a little bit with this soul and spirit because I, I want to hone in on the spirit aspect. And, and there is maybe I can explain it this way if I, if I may. We talk often about the emotions and there are, there are times when we talk about that uh, aspects of our being and just where we locate them. Like I said to you, the heart, you can talk about the heart of man that's in the soul, the inward man. You can talk about the heart of a man that's an organ that a doctor can take out and work on and do things to and put it back in and then function. But a human hand can never touch the heart that's in your soul. Right? The human hand has no ability. God can reach that, but the hand of man can never touch it. And so there is this sense in which 
when we look at the soul and the spirit, we talk about emotions. Emotions are an aspect of the soul. We feel things. We sense things. We, we, re, we have a sense of, of elation. We talk about emotions of joy. There can be emotions of fear. There can be an emotion of bitterness. There can be emotion of rage. There, there can be all kinds. An emotion that may be a pleasure, that your sensitivity. And these are emotions of sadness, sorrow that you feel. And that, of course, being located in the soul. But that, that emotion if it's allowed to uh, um, dominate you, if it's allowed to, to get a hold so that the soul yields to that emotion and yields to that inward feeling. In other words, there's no joy. Joy is not something that, that comes in the sense of your body. Joy is an emotion. I mean, the body can feel, have certain feelings like pleasure in that aspect. But you can have some feelings and people respond differently to different feelings in their body, but emotion is part of that inward man. Glory to God. I'm telling you, that's why when I get to glory, if I don't have a body, I'm still going to praise Him. I can still be joyful. I can still be happy because the emotion is not attached to my body. It may be how this world seeks to stir it up through my body, but it's attached to that inward man. God is an emotional being and He's a spirit being. He has no body and He's a spirit being, but He's a very emotional emotional being. He experiences he talks about being sorrowful he talks about being joyful, he talks about being angry and all of that how we may understand that and the being of God may be in some sense beyond us but it's there and we understand that he can be grieved he can feel he feels and has emotions but for it to take hold of your spirit and characterize you, you have to yield to the emotion. You can have some folks that so yield to an emotion of lightheartedness that they become a living clown. Have you ever seen some people that are so full of levity and cut upness you can't even have a serious conversation with them? They have so given themselves over to the emotion of laughter and what comes from that and that sense of just always feeling this sense of happiness, if you will, and so give it that they are characterized by it and they become a person of what we call levity. Uh, they become a person who is uh, like a clown, if you will, and they're always cutting up. Now, we're not saying, again, that that emotion is bad in of itself, but once it dominates you and once it takes over your spirit, there, there's a person that can experience an emotion of anger, but we wouldn't, at, at, in a moment, in a particular situation, but we wouldn't characterize them as an angry person. But there are some people that have so given themselves over to the emotion of anger uh, that they are characterized, they're always angry. I mean, you just, uh, you just look cross-eyed and boy, you can set them off. Any little thing sets them off. And they be, you would say, that's an angry man. You better watch around him. We're not talking about Christ got angry. In certain situations and certain things. But you would have never looked at Christ and said he's an angry man. You would have said he's a loving man. You would have said he's a good man. But you would have never said he's an angry man. He was a man acquainted with sorrow. But you would have never looked at Jesus in the ordinary pace of life and said he's a sad man. You would have never said that. You would have said he's a joyful man. It's okay 
is certain good things that characterize that inward man or that, that, that dominate that inward man that they come to dominate your spirit. That's okay because we want your spirit to be a certain way. There is a certain personality. There is a certain character that we're looking for. But in order for you to develop the character, it's got to get in your spirit. Do you understand that? It's got to dominate that spirit. It's got to, it's got to reach and get a hold of you. It's got to be something that dominates the driving force that's within you. And until it gets in your spirit, until it gets a hold of you there, you don't have it. You can perform some humble actions. You can do some humble deeds. But until you get humble in spirit, you're not humble. Does that make sense? Let's just look at some scriptures that illustrate this, if you will. Now, you can just write them down. They're, they're, they're very straightforward, but we're going to note a few of them. First Samuel 1 and 15. Hannah is, is before in the temple. You know her petition. She is praying for a child. And Hannah answered and said, Eli, of course, accuses her of being drunk. He says, woman, you know, she is so overcome. She's mouthing this. You know, she's mum appears that she's just mumbling and and, and she's probably uh, weaving and tottering and, and and there's no doubt tears and who knows what's all uh, the, the, that's coming up. But the appearance to Eli, who is not a spiritual man and perceptive at this point and is no longer hearing from God, he thinks she's drunk. And Hannah answered and said, 1 Samuel 1 and 15, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Now we will note the connection of soul and spirit and yet distinguished. She says, I am a person of a sorrowful spirit. Hannah had become oh so overcome by her sorrow of not having a son that it absolutely made her a gloomy person. It made her a person that, that, that had kind of a, a, a hopeless outlook, if you will. She was distressed over this. It, just, it provoked her day after day after day. It characterized her spirit. And finally, it becomes so overwhelming to her that she just, just is pouring out. And she says, I poured out my soul. And she takes all of her heart and her inward man, everything that's within her, and she comes and she lays it before God. Her spirit has become overcome with the sorrow. Oh, my. I'm telling you, that's where it's got to get a hold of us if you're going to be touched by God and if you're going to touch God something's got to happen in that spirit something's got to lay hold of that spirit because there's where God is going to meet you there's where God's going to commune there's where God's going to dwell there's where God is going to touch you Psalm 34 and 18 the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit the word contrite means crushed, broken. When the spirit of a man is broken, he's at wit's end. You can shed some tears. You can feel some emotion of, of a sense of brokenness and that you, you just feel kind of overcome in a moment. There are a lot of people that can get all teary-eyed over something silly. I mean, you know, a rat could get run over and they're just, oh, a life was lost in it. Please. I mean, you know, they just, they can just tear up over the little 
the most insignificant matter in life. And, uh, but that's not a contrite spirit. It doesn't necessarily characterize their spirit. They're just overcome more by emotions. And so the idea here, however, is that when there's a contrite spirit, when the, the spirit of a man is broken, when inwardly he's crushed and he cannot rise, he has no ability to get up now, he's crushed, he is absolutely laid out before God, that's where God is going to be near. That's where God is going to touch. I'm just talking about when something characterizes you, it means it's in your spirit. It characterizes your spirit. It then becomes a part of your personality and your outlook. In Proverbs 11 and 13, a, ter- a talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. What do we mean by a person that's of a faithful spirit? Here's the man that his character trait is such that this man has an ability to keep a secret. This man has an ability to know what to share and when to share it. Uh, he's not a talebearer. He can see something that maybe wasn't right, that, 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 that it caught somebody, it exposed somebody, or that it, it embarrassed somebody. But he doesn't go and tell it to other folks. He does what is right and what is necessary, but he doesn't go spread the bad news and gossip about it because he's got his feelings under control and his human spirit is characterized by faithfulness. This man does not allow this motion to, to govern him, but reason and righteousness this governed him and his spirit is thereby characterized by faithfulness <coughs> excuse me Proverbs 16 18 through 19 pride goeth before destruction and in haughty spirit before a fall better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. So he talks over here about a haughty spirit and a humble spirit. And he says that pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. That is that when you see a person, and, and, and if a person is uh, on a path to destruction, before they are destroyed, before they fall, Before they are destroyed, their spirit becomes hard. Their spirit becomes arrogant, proud, haughty. There is a difference between arrogance and pride. Hope you understand that. Pride is is, uh, more of the inward uh, mindset, the inward trait. Haughtiness is an outward trait. You can be proud and not haughty. Okay? A haughty man will let you know he's proud. He don't mind you thinking he's proud, all right? But there, uh, there, you can have a proud man who may actually demonstrate outward acts of modesty, but inwardly he is very puffed up. He's very self-righteous, very self-dependent, very self-motivated according to his own will and desire and thinks very highly of himself, but he can give an air to people outwardly of humility, but inwardly he is absolutely filled with pride. But an arrogant man, he's good and he'll tell you he's good. And he don't mind that. He'll boast. He could be a braggart. And so there is a distinction. Now you can be proud and not haughty, but you can't be haughty without being proud. 
All right, so those two do go hand in hand. So what he says is that, but before this person arrives at the time of destruction, they have reached this place where they're not just proud, they're haughty. And, and they're, they're kind of like the harlot that has sinned and wipes her forehead and said, I've done no wrong. She feels no shame. This man is so engrossed in his pride and his self-will, God can't touch him. God can't reach him. God can't get a hold of him. And that's why the only path and the only thing that God has to do, left to do with this man is to destroy him. He's not saying here that a man gets proud and he's automatically going to be destroyed. That's not what he's saying. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so that when men are proud and haughty, it shows that they become unreachable. It shows that they become to a place where they are, are absolutely stuck on themselves. And now the only thing you can do, if you will, maybe a last ditch effort to reach them, is let them fall into their own snare that they've laid. And let them become a prey to their own vices. So... But he said it's better to be of a humble spirit. So you can have a man whose spirit is braggadocious and arrogant, but he just talks about himself all the time. Or you can have a man whose spirit is humble and it's characterized by a sense of lowliness so that inwardly he doesn't have a high opinion of himself. He doesn't constantly compare himself to others. He's not constantly doing things in a spirit of competition. He's not doing things so that he can outdo. He doesn't care about outdoing the other. He looks at the whole picture and says, what do we need to do here that God can be glorified? He's considered of others. And he is always concerned about truth. He's not pig-headed so that he has to be stuck on his own way. Just because it's own way, he's able to listen to what others got to say, evaluate that, and make decisions based on reason because the spirit is humble. And the reason that is there, located in there, is not driven by this humble haughtiness that says I got to do it my way and I cannot change haughty Proverbs 17 and 27 he that hath knowledge spareth his words and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit so he says he that has knowledge spares his words and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit the word excellent here is a, is a word that means is translated precious it's the idea of something that's costly. Some of you may remember uh, 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 the funeral service I preached for, for Sister Mazelle. And I, I shared a verse from the 116th Psalm. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. That word precious and the word excellent are the same Hebrew word in this verse. And it means costly. So that when you have a man who's able to use his words rightly. And I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to be able to use your words rightly. You're not going to be able to speak in a manner that's helpful and, and right in a situation unless your human spirit's under control. If your human spirit's out of control, your tongue's going to be out of control. And so a man that has got, is able to speak words that are beneficial. He's sparing in his words. He's careful in his words. And he speaks words of grace that minister to the hearers. I'm telling you, that is a precious spirit. Woo, glory. That's a man whose spirit's got value. That's a man whose spirit has worth. And, and it's something that is to be prized. Characterizes this man. Ecclesiastes 7 and 8. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. We talked already somewhat about those things. Daniel 6 and 3. 
Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now this word excellent is a different Hebrew word. This is Aramaic uh, or Chaldean maybe. I'm, let's see, what, what chapter are we in? No, we're in chapter 6. I don't think it's till chapter 7 when the Chaldee uh, language is used. There's a small portion there in Daniel that's not in the Hebrew language. In the original it's in the Chaldean tongue. And, um, and so the... Uh, but that's not here. So this is Hebrew, I believe. And this is a different word than the word we find in Proverbs when we mention about an excellent spirit. Here the word excellent means a, a surpassing spirit. A, a, a spirit that is, is kind of, uh, uh, it just jumps out. It's a leadership spirit. It's a spirit that when you look at this man and you get in his presence, he commands your attention without saying anything. He projects such a spirit that you automatically want to listen to him because he's got that kind of, of essence that flows out of him. He's of a surpassing, superabundant spirit that just reaches out and gets a hold of you. That's a powerful thing. There are some men, we would call it maybe charisma is sort of that way. Daniel was a charismatic man, not like we would see among the charismatics in the Pentecostal realm. They're crazy. Uh, but the idea of, of being a charismatic person, his personality was winsome. He was a man that was uh, attractive, not so much in his appearance, but in his spirit. Oh my. You know, the spirit of a person can repulse you or attract you. I mean, you can just get around some people and say, uh, the quicker I get out of here, the better off I'll be. And then you get around somebody and you say, that guy's just fun to be around. That guy's just a delight to be around. I can just sit and listen, y'all. I really enjoy being in that person's presence. You need a spirit that is attractive. Woo, glory to the Lamb of God. We want to have a spirit that is strong, that's filled with the glory of God and, 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 and saturated with the Holy Spirit so that we are attractive to those who want truth and righteousness. You should not be an ugly person to be around. Christians should not be hard to get along with. Amen? Christians should not have this dilapidated, drag-you-down spirit. Daniel was a lift-you-up kind of man. He was that kind of a man. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and 4, specifically mentioned to women... He said, but it talks about their dormant, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. A meek spirit is a spirit that is a spirit of being willing to serve, uh, being willing to sacrifice, being willing to surrender your rights unto others. It's, it's being able to let other folks have their way, so to speak. Uh, and, and she'll have to do this because she's here in a... Uh, situation where her husband is unsaved and he talks about how she can win her unsaved husband as he beholds her conduct, as he beholds her chastity and her purity. But in order to do that, she's got to be able to surrender rights. She's got to be able to, to surrender her will and be able to serve this husband who's a sinner and be able to honor him and obey him. And uh, there could be times that's going to take some teeth gritting. There's going to be some times that's going to take some tongue biting, all right? And that's going to take some kind of like, but if her spirit is meek, she can do it. A quiet spirit is a spirit that's absent of anxiety and, and panic. 
It's a spirit that is in control. It's a spirit that's calm and collected. And the Lord says, let this woman not be panicky. Let her not be bossy. And she can win her unsaved husband. Because that kind of ornament is what God wants. He wants it in her spirit. He doesn't want it merely, and he, he tells her how to have it in her, her appearance. Get rid of the jewelry. Get rid of the fancy hairdo. Get rid of the makeup. Get rid of the, um, uh, the gold and the silver and the costly clothes and the name brand stuff. Get all that out of your way and dress simple and dress modest and dress like a woman. And then he said, decorate your spirit, adorn your spirit and let it be characterized by meekness and by uh, a quietness, if you will. So that's the sense just some verses, not all of them, but some verses that deal with this idea of, of when you talk about the spirit of a man, you're talking about that which characterizes him. And some character trait may be mentioned so that this is what this man is like. Uh, he's a humble man because he has a humble spirit. He's a haughty man because he has a haughty spirit. He's a sad man because he has a sorrowful spirit. He is, or she is a, a meek woman and a calm woman because she has a meek and quiet spirit. So that when there's some character trait that has become ingrained and rooted in the spirit, it is evident in the personality. And becomes something by which the person is noted. Now, you want to be strong there. You need to build the right character in your spirit. Okay? You've got to build it there. You don't build character just by dressing a certain way. You build character by focusing on your spirit. But that's why God has to tell you to get some of the dress things out of the way because you're going to have a hard time building a modest spirit when you're dressing immodestly. You're going to have a hard time adorning the soul when you're caught up with adorning the body. Okay? It's going to be hard for you to do that when you're spending an hour in front of a mirror putting your makeup on and getting all your jewelry lined up. You're going to have a hard time uh, uh, spending time in the Word and preparing your heart for worship because you're too focused on your outward appearance. You can't give any attention to the soul and spirit. And so these, what we must do, and I'm going to give you five things. I'm probably not going to get through all of them tonight. I'm just going to tell you that from the start. But let's, let's, maybe let's, let's take a stab at it. Number one, you must receive. Now we're talking about building into your spirit right character. You must receive the foundational experiences provided in the atonement. Now I'm just going to say this. This, this is going to seem very simple. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But I always have to start here. And, and I say this in so many of my outlines and so many things that I approach. I don't approach it to, to talk about, you know, start at, at way down here and, and this Bible principle. I start at the beginning. I'm going to tell you, you're never good till you're saved. You're never going to be strong until you're saved. You're never going to be good until you're saved. You're never going to build your spirit right until you get saved. It starts with that. You say, well, we already know that. You may already know that, but I want you to notice how, I want you to know how much you needed it and how much, that's the starting point. God doesn't start building your spirit by just putting you in the fire. God builds your spirit by first saving you. God has to first deal with you and get your spirit right 
before it can be built. Now, three experiences. I say, I say the salvation experiences. There are three. And let me just mention how they, they quickly affect your spirit. The first is, is that what we call a justification, a salvation experience, a conversion, if you will. And, and it's also talked about as regeneration or being born again. That is where you receive life. Your spirit is regenerated and you are alive in God. Your spirit is united with the Lord's spirit and you become one spirit with Him. 1 Corinthians 6, He that is united to the Lord is one spirit. Talks about being one spirit with Christ. We are placed by the spirit into the body of Christ, but that's a spiritual body, if you will. We are placed and become members of His members and bones of His bones, if you will, and, and, and we become a, a part of Jesus Christ. But how are we united to Him? We're not united to Him physically. We united Him spiritually so that God takes that inward human spirit and that has been, been uh, drugged through the mud hole of sin, that's been divorced from God, separated from His presence. Uh, he speaks to that spirit. He puts light into that soul. The soul says, Dear God, I repent of my sin. Save me. I believe. And in that moment, God regenerates that man and gives him a new spirit. Woo, glory to God. He doesn't take him, give him a new human spirit and that he takes out. He changes the one that's there and he makes it alive. How does he make it alive? He takes that spirit and he unites it to himself. He makes it a part. We become a partaker of God Almighty, a partaker of the divine nature. Glory to God. And God unites us to him through the Holy Spirit and we become one with Jesus Christ and we are now alive in God. That's the starting place. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. He said, abide in me. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. You have to first of all have life in God. And that comes through regeneration. Secondly, there's sanctification. That liberates the spirit that has been affected by physical addictions, making one alive to God. Maybe more, I'll preach later, but it's an aspect of sanctification that we don't often hear much about. There is a distinction between being alive in God and alive to God. Not saying, and, and again, don't, don't try to fit all that. To, and you think, well, well, you know, I didn't get it that way or it didn't happen to me that way. Well, I, I don't know how it happened to you. As long as it happened, I'm just happy for that, all right? As long as it gets done. But there's an order in Scripture. There's a definite process that takes place. It, it may all happen in 10 seconds. It may all happen in 5 seconds in your life. It may, for you, because you're stubborn, it may take you 5 years. I don't know, but uh, I will tell you, God wants to do all of it in you. But He's says that in Romans 6 likewise he said reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God alive to God dead to sin I am no longer related to that I have nothing to do with it and, the, and refers uh, particularly to that body and how God can take that body and liberate it from the addictions that have bound it and that that man is now alive that body becomes alive that spirit becomes alive to God so that it, it, it goes after him with a hunger, with a sense and there's nothing there in the body to drag it down. Your body can be a major drag on your spirit. If you don't get that body free from addictions and under control, 
it'll drag your spirit down. Am I right or wrong? How many of you have been there? Even right now, without discipline, your body can be a drag on your spirit. Why? Because you've let it get too far. Some folks, their spirits are kept down constantly because their physical appetites are out of control. Amen? So that work of sanctification liberates the spirit that has been affected through addicting addictions that have been in the body and it liberates the spirit so that the man is alive to God now. There, there is a sense in which this is not just a, a life that he has in God, but now there is a, a sense of relationship that drives him in communion and that everything about him is geared towards God and nothing hinders him or holds him back. Physically, there's nothing in his body that is hindering or pulling that spirit down. Baptism in the Holy Ghost empowers the spirit so that one becomes alive for God. Justification, regeneration will make you alive in God. Sanctification will make you alive to God. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost will make you alive for God. Because now your whole life becomes caught up in the power of the Holy Ghost for service here's your power to serve here's your power to live here's the spirit of God into which you have been placed and baptized that's going to saturate you that's going to inundate you and so that now you become a powerful testimony for the Lord I don't care folks there will be a difference between a Holy Ghost filled saint and merely a newborn saint who has born him the spirit your testimony will take on a greater power it will take on a greater fervency your service or take on a greater power your power and your spirit will have a greater uh, uh, sense that it's able to move with effectiveness because the Lord has baptized you in the Holy Ghost that needs to happen at the beginning of your Christian experience you need all that God's got for you if you're going to be strong in spirit you need God to save you sanctify you and fill you with the Holy Ghost 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Quickly. 2 Corinthians, are you with me tonight? 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Having therefore these promises. What promises? They're mentioned back in chapter 6. Let's read them. Verse 17 and 18. Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters saith the Lord Almighty here's a promise God said if you come out from among them he said I am going to be and touch not he said the unclean thing be separate and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you'll be my sons and my daughters saith the Lord wow what a promise. That's a promise, all right? God says, I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you. And you'll be my sons and my daughters. You'll be an heir uh, to all that I have. And he says here, and he says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Here's the second thing you do. When you're talking about, I'm talking about the characterization aspect of your spirit. First thing is square one. Get saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, all right? Because that's a starting point. But secondly, now you need to cleanse your spirit, your human spirit. Talks about the flesh and spirit. I'm just going to focus mostly on the spirit because that's what I'm talking about here. You need to cleanse that from all filthiness. This is something he tells Christians to do. 
He didn't tell the sinner to do it. He said, you cleanse yourself. Now, I, I want to say something here. Sometimes we get stuck on and say, well, you have to sanctify yourself or you have to do this to yourself. God's not going to do that for you. Can I tell you something? There, there's, there's truth. There are some things God's not going to do for you. But there's nothing you can ever do without God. There are phrases the Bible uses. Peter used it on the day of Pentecost. And we get down to the end of his sermon. And the Bible said, with many other words did he exhort and testify to them saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now how do I save myself from a perverse or an untoward generation? How do I save myself? I present myself to God in repentance and faith. That's how I save myself. It's, it's me saving myself in the sense that i got to make a decision to leave that mess and turn my heart over to God. But in the actual sense of saving myself, I don't have the ability to save myself. All I can do is present myself to God. But it is me saving myself in that it's my choice and my, my will, but it's also God saving me because without the blood, there's no remission of sin. And the same thing here. You can't cleanse yourself without filthy, from all filthiness unless you've got the power of God that will help you and will guide you and will illuminate you and strengthen you. But it's your sense in that you've got to pay attention to what's in your spirit. You've got to look at what's going on in your life and you've got to present yourself to the Holy Spirit and say, take this out, put this in me, work this into my life. So when he says cleanse yourself, it's not something that you do independent of God. It's something that you do dependent on God in cooperation with God. Now, what is it to cleanse your spirit? You see, when you, you come out and you think about it, and there's folks that God saves, and he has literally pulled them out of the pit. Their life has been so low. They have been involved in so much garbage. Their mind has been filled with so much garbage, pictures, words, language. They know nothing but street garbage. They've heard every dirty joke in the book. They participated in such actions that are not, should not even be spoken about, but it's real in their experience and it's in their memory when they get saved. Now, buddy, let me tell you something. When God saves you, sanctifies you, and fills you with the Holy Ghost, right at the onset of your life, that doesn't make you a super-duper God. It doesn't make you strong in spirit. But you can't get strong in spirit until you cleanse that spirit. You know what you're going to have to do? Through devotion to God's Word, through prayer, through hearing preaching, through being in the fellowship of good company. You see, how does he say you're going to cleanse yourself here? In this context, particularly, in this context, it goes back to the verse in chapter 6 that says in verse, uh, he says, first of all, in verse 12, you're not straightened in us, but you are straightened in your own bowels. What, what this church has done is they, have with, they are withholding their affection and their warmth and their respect for the Apostle Paul. They're withholding that. They've got spiritual constipation. That's, what he, that's the illustration he uses. You're straightened. You're constipated. You're drawn tight. But it isn't in us. It's in yourself. It's in your own spirits. It's in your own bowels. It's in your own heart. 
But where did they get that out of? It's right after that he lets us know in verse 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I'll tell you where they got that bad attitude. I'll tell you where they got that spirit towards Paul. They got it spending time with the wrong company. He warned him about that in the first letter that he wrote. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Be not deceived. Evil communications or evil conversation, evil companionships corrupt good manners. This church has had to be warned because they're want, warned because they ha, they're wanting to go down and spend time at the old pagan temple because their old buddies have invited down there and Paul's up and tell them that's not where you need to be. We don't eat meat that's offered to idols. I don't want you having fellowship with devils. And what happens is if they're spending time in their own company, you spend time around dirty-minded people and your spirit is going to get fed with dirty-mindedness. And when you get saved, buddy, God doesn't erase your memory. I'm telling you, there's things in your mind that you're going to have to learn to replace and put away. Your spirit has got to be cleansed because you have spent too much time in the presence of wickedness. And you've come under the influence of it. It may take a little time. But you get around good people and you're going to find out. Hey, I've seen folks, they get saved. And we just want to immediately toss them out the window because they say something off color. You can't do that. Their spirit needs cleansed. They're used to speaking that language. They don't know that it's bad at this point. I'm not talking about some kind of profanity and and some, even that's got to be cleansed out and that should be taken care of right away. But I'm telling you, God will clean up your talk. And you'll find out that sometimes your street lingo may not be appropriate for a more modest crowd. He said, hey bud, God, we don't use that language, okay? We don't use that language. But the Spirit of God will deal with him too. You have, has none of you ever done that? I've had the Holy Spirit deal with me. I've said things sometimes, and the Holy Spirit chasing me and say, son, that's inappropriate talk. I've had at times in my younger experience, and, 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 and as God has helped to develop me and make me strong through the years, but there were times that, that a situation would so overwhelm me that my mind would just go over it again and again and again. And the problem with that is, is that the more my mind got on it, your mind is in your spirit, all right? And it just began to characterize me, and it began to affect my work, it began to affect my marriage relationship, it began to affect your friendships, because something is going on in your mind, is just becoming overwhelming you and it's, it's getting a hold of you. It's making you irritable. It's making you hard to get along with. It's making you somebody's preoccupied all the time. you got to get a hold on that. And I'm telling you when you come out of a bunch of mess and get saved, the devil's got a lot to tempt you with. He's got a lot of pictures to bring back. He's got a lot of memories to bring back. And you're going to have to learn. You can't think on that junk and stay clean. you got to get rid of that. you got to cleanse yourself and put something in it to replace those memories so your spirit is clean and you perfect holiness in the fear of God. People have to be shaped. They have to learn. And if you just get around, I've learned a lot when I was growing up just being around men whose spirits were strong. Watch how they talk. Watch what they say. Watch how they, well, yeah, they may cut up, but they'll only go so far, and they rein it in. You see, you may have, when you begin this thing, you end up going too far. You end up telling something that was there in the memory that you didn't think about. You were so used to doing it, and you told it, and then you realize 
that was inappropriate. You get it out of your spirit. You cleanse it. You get rid of it. Get in the right company. Ooh, glory. Get with the right men and women. Glory to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Woo, praise the Lord. My, 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 my. Well, I'm just going to mention these. You'll just have to bear with me. Give me 15 more minutes. I'm going to close it. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to finish this point. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 very quickly. Romans 12 and verse 2. The third thing you must do. Let me repeat, number one, you receive the foundational experiences provided in the atonement, justification, sanctification, baptism, Holy Ghost. Number two, to cleanse your spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God. Number three, you must renew the mind intellectually and fundamentally. What do I mean by that? Remember, the spirit is connected to the mind. The mind is located in the spirit, if you will. That's the same sense. Uh, everything basically gets in your spirit. It's got, it's got to get in that mind and, and form your thinking. But in Romans chapter 12, we know this verse real well. I want to give you two verses. Romans chapter 12. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. How do you renew the mind? You've got to get a new relationship with the Word of God. That's what you've got to do. And you've got to start filling your mind with good stuff. When you get saved, God doesn't put the Bible in you. When you get saved, He doesn't erase the bad things out of your mind. There's only one way to get something bad out of your mind. Replace it with something good. That's the only way you're going to do it. Some people, can't, some people can't fight off a bad thought the devil puts in their mind. And they can't fight it off and get it out of their mind. Because they have nothing good upon which to focus. You don't have a scripture. You've not been meditating on anything. You have nothing handy. You have nothing memorized. And all you can do is sit there and battle and battle. And you, you try, to, try to think about your job. You try to think about what you're doing. But in actuality, it's not enough to replace it. It keeps coming back. It keeps haunting you. Because you don't have anything powerful and good to replace it with and get it out of your mind. I'm going to tell you something. The only way you're going to build strength into your spirit is you've got to fill yourself with the Word of God. Intellectually, you've got to begin to fill that mind with the Word of God so that you've got something to replace that filthiness that was there and that was a part of your spirit, now your spirit is going to become characterized. Do what that sister said. Get that thing in your heart. You're taking notes. Uh, think on things that the pastor had been preaching and think about that. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lads. Oh, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing and you put that in your spirit and you say, God, write it there. And then when you get up in the middle of the night instead of thinking about some junk, let your mind go to the word of God and begin to meditate and roll it over in your head that's how you build a strong spirit but you got to put in that foundational base of information and knowledge intellectually and I say fundamentally you got to renew your mind intellectually and fundamentally Ephesians 4 and 23 goes with this but I want you to note the difference in the verse Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23 and be renewed same thing he talked about well be transformed over in, in Romans 12 by the renewing of your mind. But here he talks about how that you are going to put these things off. He talks about putting uh, off the former conversation. The old man which is corrupt. Ephesians 4 and 22 and verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now here he doesn't talk about 
the mind uh, per se he does talk about the mind, but he talks about more so the spirit of your mind. Renewing the mind as putting in new data, putting in new information that from, from the Word of God that's going to be able to be used by the Holy Spirit to transform your life and to change you and to mold you and make you. But to be renewed in the spirit of your mind is that now your mind has got a new outlook. It, it's, it has a new desire. And so we're not just talking about the sense of the information in the mind so much but about the perspective and the direction of the mind. You've got to develop in your life an attitude towards God's word and it's not just Sunday school material it's not just a religious a duty that you have to perform that that book is life, that book is health, that book is strength that book will make you a better person that book is God's love to you that book is God's truth to you and you've got to develop an attitude it said, I want to see everything through that book. I want to see everything through God's Word. I want to have a biblical perspective. So you renew the mind intellectually by putting in the data from the Word, the information, and you renew it fundamentally by getting a new perspective so that the mind doesn't desire to be filled with junk. And so that it begins to love the Word of God and it begins to look at things from God's perspective. Number four, how, and we're talking about how do you build strong, a strong spirit relative to your character. Number four, you must be made perfect in love. Because I've been dealing quite a bit with this on love, I'm not going to go into this one because I've been talking about it. But the Bible talks about the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. It's poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. That comes with justification. We love Him because He first loves us. When you get saved, God puts a measure of love into your life. You feel the Holy Ghost. He'll fill you up with love. But I'm telling you, you are yet, when you first get saved, you don't understand the outworkings of love. You don't understand all the character of love. You don't understand what love all involves. You're just happy to be forgiven. Man, you're just happy to be on your way to glory. You're just happy the guilt and the shame's gone. You're just happy that you've got a new joy in life. You've got a new outlook. You've got some hope again. Woo, praise the Lord. You've got a sense in which you're alive, praise the Lord. And, and you want to love God and you want to know more about it. But you really don't even know how to love God yet. You do love your brother, but you ain't had a brother wrong you yet. When you first get saved, everybody's good. Everybody's my brother. And I just love everybody. Well, you're going to soon find out there are going to be some folks you're going to be tempted to hate real bad, and they're going to be sitting on the pew with you. You don't even know how to love your brother. You've got to perfect that love. You got to go through the processes. You got to go through the processes that bring you where your love becomes tested. Your love is tried when you're offended, when you have been offended, and when you've been an offender. Then you're able to apologize. You're able to receive an apology. You're able to bury, bury it with bury the, the transgression by charity and have fervent charity that will cover a multitude of sins. You're able to go through the fire without complaining. Oh, you're going to learn what love's all about, and that love's got to be perfected in you so that you obey God's command that you fully love your brother and that you have cast out all fear because you abide in Christ and you're strong and you are able and ready to stand before God in judgment. Woo! Lastly, number five. Hebrews 5 and verse 12. Familiar passage. Hebrews 5 and verse 12. 
I know I'm taking a little extra time tonight. Hebrews 5 and 12. This is my last point. You got to train your senses. You have to train your senses. This is all dealing with your spirit. Ties into your human spirit. Let's start in verse 11 of Hebrews 5. Verse 10. Called of God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, speaking of Christ, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Did you get that? He says, we got a lot of things to tell you about Christ. A lot of things. And he said, they're, they're difficult to express. But what makes them difficult to express is that your minds are lazy. You don't want to think anymore. You don't want to stretch your mind. You don't want to learn anything new. Hey, the preacher can't preach deeper things if you get lazy mentally. I'm not going to disconnect your mind and your spirit hand in hand. We're going to see that even more later. But I want you to see what he says. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. I've seen people like this. And they've been serving God for 20 and 30 years. But they still prefer, they'd rather just sit down. They don't want a message that challenges them intellectually. They don't want a message that challenges them spiritually. They don't want a, challenge, a message that will challenge them. They would just rather have something simple. And it goes over and you look at their life and you say, man, they need some deeper things from God. They could be so much stronger. They could be so much more effective. But they'll never get the deeper things of God because their minds are lazy. And he said, you have, one that need, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. The things that God says. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful or inexperienced in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use or habit. The word use here means habit, custom, practice. Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You've got to make it your habit to stretch your mind. You've got to make it your habit to challenge yourself mentally. You've got to make it your habit to think on things and dwell on things. We have a culture today that makes it easy to disengage the mind. That makes it easy to put the thinker in neutral and just allow the garbage to flow in. Just shift it to neutral and let the junk pump into your mind and you just get a high off of it and go on. And I'm telling you, you go to the counter in Walmart, and if Buddy, the, the, if the, cash, or the cash machine doesn't tell them how much change to give back, they can't even add it up. Our minds are slouchy. That's generally. But in Christianity, it's worse because we've not made a habit of study. We've not made a habit of reading. We've not made a habit of learning. We've not made a habit of growing in our knowledge so that our senses become exercised. Become, they've been so utilized in the Word of God that we are able to discern what is good and what is bad. I'm telling you right now that you are not going to get a strong spirit until you are able to discern what's good for that spirit and what's bad for that spirit Amen. you see there's things I preach against because I think they're so obvious places you shouldn't go but there's some other places that I don't necessarily tell folks they can't go there I really wish they didn't but I don't want them not to go there because I tell them I want them to get their spirit so strong and full of God that they discern it on their own 
because I can't be a big daddy and a big papa and a policeman to the church. That's not what God made us to do. He made us to build people and edify them and make them strong in Christ. And you make such a habit that you are able through the word of God and, and, and constantly looking at God's righteous standard that you're able to discern, hey, this is not really good for us. This is not an activity that's going to build us and help us. Let's stay away from this. No, we're not here. We're not going to say, well, that's a sin and you went wrong if you've done that and you shouldn't do that. No, but I'm telling Telling you that your spirit is weak when you can't discern those things that are helpful and hurtful, and you can't determine to what between what will build you and what will kill you. You gotta build your spirit. You gotta make it strong. We want your spirit to be characterized by love, by joy, by victory, by truth, by humility, by grace. holiness of God these are the things you got to do to do that you got to get the back the foundational experiences you got to cleanse your spirit from what was filthy in the past you got to renew your mind intellectually and fundamentally you got to be made perfect in love and you got to train your senses by making a habit of growing yourself mentally 